Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, please. Um, just as we start, what a delight last weekend for those of you who were here. What a delight to have Gareth and Nadine with us in person and their daughter Alex. Just so exciting for those of you who don't know. Our family are on the way in the next six months into the UK and Gareth and Nadine are coming to lead this church. And just at every point over last weekend, from Friday night where we met with elders and wives and just getting to know them, Saturday we met with elders again, core leaders on Sunday, it just felt like God was just settling hearts all across our leadership team. It's just the most wonderful fit. I just think the, the big blanket statement over this whole thing for me is God is in this. God is on the move. God is doing this. And it's just, it, was a, it was a precious thing to, to know that in my head and then to experience it in, in person, like with them. It was just a, a very wonderful thing. If you're new this morning, I want to welcome you. That might be the first time you're here. It might be you've been coming for a few months and you're still not so sure if this is your community and you're just trying to figure it all out. But you might not know if you're in, that, in one of those brackets that we've been doing Ephesians for quite a long time, right, one hope? I think we're about 18 months in, but we've taken breaks. So we've been doing it in kind of sections and we are now in part four and we're speaking about relationships. And so we started with the most critical of all relationships, our relationship with God. That's where everything begins. And then we've gone into marriage. Last week we spoke about parenting. And this morning, it's my joy and Stefan's joy to speak on workplace. And as we were worshiping, and Charmaine brought that word about what is it holding it together? Like, I think it was the phrase you used, like men in particular, like all just trying to hold it together. I'd been sitting there feeling in my heart like that text. I think it's Matthew 8. I'm terrible with remembering where things are. But I think it's Matthew 8 where it says, Jesus looked on the crowd and had compassion because they were helpless and harassed like sheep without a shepherd. And I often wonder what it was that Jesus was looking back in that time. So 2,000 odd years ago, what were people so harassed and helpless about? Like they didn't have iPhones yet. They didn't have all the tech issues we have. They didn't have the, like the fast pace of the world or all these things that we think are the things that make us feel helpless and harassed. They had lives that we might look on and go, oh, that looks very slow and not helpless or harassed at all. And yet, as, as Charmaine was bringing that word, I just have a sense in my heart this morning that around this workplace thing, so many of us feel helpless and we feel harassed. We don't know how we're supposed to honor God in our workplace. It gets all confusing. We get really confused about what we're supposed to be as a boss, what we're supposed to be as someone working for a boss, whether we're supposed to stay in our job, leave our job, whether we should chase after money or like reject money. There's just so many different Christian lenses on this. And I think for a lot of people, this space is a space where you just don't know quite how to figure out, like, how do I actually walk out my faith in the workplace, right? And so that's where we are in our series. I just want to point you ahead to the next two weeks. We know it's not ideal timing. I hope students, you're already watching, those of you who are away online, but we're doing dating next week. Nathan and Mandy are going to be speaking into that, sexual ethics, all sorts of stuff. Those of you with kids thinking about your kids starting to date, like it's not just, it's not just a series if you're wanting to start dating or preach on that. And then the week after that, Riley is going to be speaking on singleness. And so I really want to encourage you to dial in if you are um, away already over those two weeks. All right, to the point of this morning, workplace relationships. Let's read Ephesians 6. 
and chapter 5. If you aren't there yet, just look over your neighbor's shoulder. Slaves, I'm in the NIV. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. This is quite an interesting text, right? I am not going to be dealing with slavery and masters and the biblical ethics around that this morning, because that is another whole series on its own. What we're going to be dealing with is relationships and work. That's what we're dealing with. How does work and relationships come together? There's some big questions that between the two of us, we're going to be trying to answer this morning. It's questions like, who struggles with a bad boss? Anyone? Robin, put your hand down. <laughs> and if your boss is here, keep it down as well. We're going, to, we're going to look at what to do. What do you do when you have a really, really bad earthly boss? What about, are you the boss? And you really struggle with bad employees. What do you do? Especially with Christian ones. I mean, in my experience, they can be the worst ones, you know. We're just brothers, right? No, we're not. I'm your boss. As well as your brother. It's quite complex. Quite difficult. What does the Bible speak to about this? What about struggling with motivation for work? Anyone? Kind of Nathan prayed in our prayer meeting this morning, like, you know, you're a young adult, you get your first job, like three, four years in, you have this moment of realization where you're like, this is it. This is the next 50 years of my life. Monday morning, rolling around, right? There's moments where we can just deeply struggle with, with motivation, and you're like, remind me why I do this again. What's all this for? Maybe it's perspective, that you're looking for, like trouble with perspective, where we forget what it's, it just seems pointless. So it's like, what are, we, what are we doing this for? There's a Chicago sanitation worker, which I think is just the fancy way to say plumber, right? I think it's just a plumber. But this is a famous quote from, from one of those guys. He says, I go to work to dig the ditch, to make the money, to buy the food, to gain the strength, to go back to work to dig the ditch. Perspective. And motivation. You may even have the self-awareness to know that a lack of motivation, perspective, maturity, whatever it is, make you pretty bad at your job. You might be in a season right now where if you're honest enough, you go like, I actually don't think I'd like to have me working for me. Right? We've got to be honest about these things. And I think this text that we're going to look at this morning speaks to each and every one of these things and so much more beside. So much more that we could get to. And then I want to just click this one further out because I think there's high schoolers sitting here this morning. See some of you over there. Whoop, whoop. I see some students somewhere around. My daughter's going to kill me for that later. Um, you might be retired. Like, how does this apply to you if you're retired? Or it might even be that you're sitting here this morning and you're desperately trying to find a job and you're like, if only I had a workplace, that would be so great. How does this text apply to you, and I just want to encourage you, don't zone out. 
I think this text speaks so much to actually what Ephesians 2, if you go back to our other series in Ephesians 2, there's this verse that says that we are all God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus for, do you remember? For good works. We're supposed to work, which God prepared and carries on in advance for us to do. So every single one of us, no matter where we are, no matter if you're a student studying, if you're a high schooler, if you're retired, God still has work for us to do. So I'm not just talking about marketplace getting a salary at the end of the month. Um, Stefan is going to come and join me, and he's going to just help us around how God views work. Like, is work even good? Is this not some evil to be avoided? Yeah, I can just agree that uh, work at the best of time can be great and awesome, but then there's times that, oh boy, oh boy, can I just be in bed, listen to the rain, look at News 24. So, but yeah, I mean, that is, that is where it all started, you know, um, because of Eve or Adam, or let's not go there. We have sinned, and we here we are, and we struggle with word. Right in Genesis 3, in verse 19, God tells Adam, he says, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the, gro- to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and dust you shall return. Okay, it's not the Chicago ditch here, but we are working from the day we are born, in some sense, to the day we die. And we can look from that from a negative perspective and see, what's up with that, God? Why? But if we go a bit further back, before Genesis 3, we can see that God has ordained work from the very beginning. And now that's not like, let's start at the very beginning, like in that musical. Now we rather mean like in Genesis 1 where God said, I'll read for us, from Genesis 1, 1 to 3. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light and there was light. And God saw that light was good. Well, I remember when I was a second-year student and I started Applied Maths. I hope some of you avoided that class. Um, We used to say, and the earth was void and without form and full of Applied Maths. And then there was light, except for engineers. Um, Luckily, light came, and it wasn't a train. Uh, at the end of the tunnel. But, let me just go back. So, God created work. He's, he's, he works. And therefore, we work because we are created in His image. And that's in verse 1. And then we can just look at what does work bring about. It says here, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And that's got such meaning. 
when when God yeah, it's, it's such a weird con- concept if we think of it. It says the earth was void and without form. It's like there was nothing there, but it it doesn't have form. So like, why does God say it's like like a messy nothingness? How how yeah, I I just don't understand it. But I'm just the engineer, so what do I know? But in that, God creates meaning. He, he creates something out of nothing. We're not able to do that, but we are able on a day-to-day basis to create something, to move us forward, to create meaning. And it's so beautiful that we can do, in a sense, the same thing in our daily lives. So maybe your work, you don't look at it and say, oh, I'm working for an NGO and we're looking after this and... You know, there's some good, but I don't quite see it. We, we struggle with that as well. I'm in the mining industry, and you go to, to Peru, and you just see this downpour of rain in these mountains, and you say, well, this mining business, why am I in it? So we do ask those questions. But in that small area where we are, we can create some good, and we can create some meaning and order in that, just as God did. And then... In verse um, 4, God said, and the light was good. So God was satisfied by the work that he's done. I think a lot of us, we almost like humble, I struggle with it. We are like, we look at, and it's like, I really did something here, but let me be humble about it. Um, And it's sort of a false pride. But God calls us to that. It's like, he created and he said it's good. Why can't we be have some pride? Not in a boastful way, but have pride in what we do. In a way, God uses work to create create identity in us. Not in a you know, it's not like our identity is work, but cre- God create use work to 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 instill some sort of identity us in into us. I look at my daughter. When she, sometimes this morning, she's made this little card for me and I was still eating breakfast in bed and she went and drew some more flowers and say, I was like, just a pride, I was like, Dad, this is a rose. I was like, yeah, I can sort of see it. But, but you know, that pride and joy out of it. And I, I think that is what God is also doing in work for us. So on that note, I think I'm going to give back to Paul. I'll, I'll, I'll stand awkwardly uh, beside you. You're so welcome. You can drink from my water if you want. All right, so if we, if we log that as the first major thing, that God created work, work is good, we often think, what about the curse? What about the fall? Wasn't that where work came in? Not at all. God had already instituted work. God is working. And God simply said work's going to get a bit harder. And that's some of what we experience, the weeds the metaphorical weeds, all right? So we're going to get into this Ephesians text. We're going to do it quite simply. I'm going to look at what slaves, workers, employees, if you'll just allow me that grace to just expand that bracket right there, what they call to, and then the why, the motive God gives for it, all right? So that should come up behind me, but let's look at what. We'll read the text. Slaves, obey. Great word to start with, right? What a cracking way to to get the guys on board when you're doing a preach. The obey word, right? This means do what they say. 
No more complex. I'm going to simply state these things and just say them like that. And you can go home and think about this and think about whether you are doing this in your workplace is a great question. All right. Obey your earthly masters. Then it says with respect and fear. So we're just looking at what, what, what. Respect and fear does not mean cowering, does not mean hiding under your desk. It means honor. It means think the Think through little practical things like corridor conversations. Do you know the phrase corridor conversations? When you ought to have a conversation with someone face-to-face -face with your boss, hey, I disagree with this, and instead you go and have it with five employees in the corridor. That's, a, that's, that's not respect and fear. It says, do it with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. See that little uh, sincerity of heart? In other words, just be honest. Have an honesty of heart in the way that you do your work. We're not going to unpack these. Like I said, I'm just throwing them out there. These are the what? This is what the Bible says you need to do in your workplace. Obey them again, not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ. So what do you do? What's, what's the what? Not just to win their favor. You obey them not just to win their favor. But as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly. That's another what? How do you do your job? Do it wholeheartedly. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord. And then the last little part, verse 8, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do. So God is saying by insinuation in that little verse, it's good to do your job. It's a what? It's good. God calls it good, right? Now where we want to focus this morning is on the why. Why does God tell you to obey, to respect and fear, to have sincerity of heart, to not only do it when you're being watched, etc.? This is what it says. I'll just read the parts. They should be highlighted. Can you go to the next? I think it's the next one. There we go. Just so, this is the why. Why do you have to do all those things? Just as you would obey Christ is the first instruction. The second one is, but as slaves of Christ. In other words, you are a slave of Christ, not slave of Deloitte, your boss, yourself even if you're self-employed. You're not a slave of that. You're a slave of Jesus Christ, as the text is what's saying. Then it says, do, this is the why, do the will of God from your heart as if you were serving the Lord and all the time knowing that the Lord will reward you. Okay, so have you got that? That's the what, what you do. Very straightforward. You can go and think about those. And the why. Why is God saying we must do this? Well, he's saying he wants you to do it as if you were obeying Christ. Slaves of Christ, do the will of God as if you were serving the Lord. The Lord is keeping track, is what he says at the end. He will reward you. The Lord is keeping track. Do you remember when he preached on submission? It reached almost exactly the same place. Effectively, it was saying, wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. This is effectively doing the same in a more detailed way. It's actually saying, do your job as unto the Lord. That's what it's effectively saying in this text. You're actually doing your job through your boss, if you know what I mean by through, like beyond your boss, beyond whatever workplace you're in, career you've chosen, and you're doing it with God alone watching you. So in effect, we're going to get to this just now, but in effect, who's your boss? Exactly, Ali. Who else? Who's your boss? God is what this text is saying, is that God is your boss. 
It's quite a thought. Can you begin to imagine the difference that this would make to you on a Monday morning? The difference that this would make to us if we began to truly, from our hearts, think about the reality that everything we do in our workplace, whether in a marketplace or sitting at a student desk or in high school, wherever you are, is all for Jesus. Hmm. You sit down to study for Jesus. You bear a bad boss patiently for Jesus. You do your work so excellently, not for promotion, not for recognition. Those things may come, but primarily, what are you doing it for? You got it now. Come on, who are you doing it for? I can't hear you. See, it's so, it's so wonderfully congruent with what we just read just now in Ephesians chapter 2. For we are God's handiwork. That's who I am. I am God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for me to do. See, this is today's big take home, really. It's not for your boss. It's not for your, your corporate bottom line. It's not for the company that you work for. It's not even for some great and good sense of satisfaction or significance or meaningful contribution to the world. Those things all come into it. But ultimately, when we scratch it all down to the very, very bottom, at the very bottom, what this Ephesians text is saying very simply is, God is your boss. It is for Jesus. And that's made explicit in verse 8, because you know that the Lord will reward you. The Lord will pay you your bonus check. The Lord will give you your promotion. The Lord will pay your salary and care for you at the end of the day. Why? Because He will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. Does that make sense? I know it's cold, but hopefully this is going in. Stefan, come and unpack this a little bit more for us. Not an electronic engineer, I was just saying. Sorry, guys. Um, yeah, so I just want to unpack that a little bit. Paul um, just mentioned it. So I'm just going to read verses 7 and 8 again for us. So, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each of you whatever you do, good you do. When I look at that verse, um, especially the end towards verse 7, it says, you're serving the Lord, not people. I think sometimes in our thinking, we're thinking we are serving, like Paul said, the company. We're serving our boss. We're providing for our family. But a lot of the time, if we are very honest about it, is actually serving ourselves. We are in this, in this job to serve ourselves. We have some plan and some place that we want to be in the world, so we're going to work hard to accomplish that. So... 
I'm asking this question, is that not people, is including ourselves? And it specifically says, we are not working for people, we're working for God. And then we do the type of things that Paul mentioned us, mentioned, is that we have conversations with our boss and say like, have you noticed what I did? Have you noticed me? We have, we, we organize conversations with our HR and said, you know, my boss is not recognizing because I'm doing all these wonderful things. Because I, I'm, I have a plan and I want to be in this house and I want to drive this car and I want to have this model wife or whatever that might be. I want to have money if, if I'm thinking like a millennial, I'm not. Um, or whatever generation Z or triple A we are at. Um, it's about experience. We want to have money and time for the next experience. Sorry, is it not triple A? What is that? Is it, oh, it's a, it's a, sorry, sorry. Um, yeah. So we're working for that. But as we said, we are not doing that. God has a special purpose for us. And it might not be to do with even the job that we're doing. Maybe nothing to do with the job to doing. It is possibly, most possibly, the people that we interact with. Our bosses, our colleagues, our clients, possibly. So we don't know those purposes. And we need to trust God for those purposes. And if we are in that job to accomplish our purposes, and even if it's the basic things that we want to work to provide for our family, then we need to think of the next verses. verse. It says in verse 8, Because you know that God will reward each of you for whatever, whatever good they do. If we are doing a job and it's not about a prestige, but just providing, as we should, then it, it actually asks a deeper, deeper question. Do we trust God? When we were uh, praying this morning, I don't know, I felt like me and Nathan was on the same wavelength um, because he was also praying about trust. A lot of our struggles in life is because we don't trust. We don't trust God. We don't trust his, his promises. And that's like that in work. We, we try to start our own scheme and stuff because we don't trust that God will provide. I've, I've had a lot of colleagues and even myself lately at times where I wanted to scheme to handle a situation, a situation that I didn't like, that I didn't know, that I felt like people are undermining my authority or they don't see my worth and we want to take control of that. And God says, like we've prayed, let's give it to him. He will sort it out. I can testify in my own life that's been the case. Every time I want to, to take over, it's a disaster. But if we trust God, he gets us where we should be. I want to read uh, 1 Peter 5, verse 6. Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Do we do this in the workplace? Do we humble ourselves rather than raising ourselves 
to positions of authority, to positions of recognition? Do we humble ourselves? Do we do this? Do we humble ourselves because in our struggles at work, or do we want to pull ourselves up so others can see us? All I can say this morning is, please remember, God loves you. He's got you better than your boss or your work or yourself. So let's continue to, to, to trust him, to learn how to trust him. I don't think we ever will be to a place where we can truly say we trust him. But if we can, on a daily basis and a yearly basis, learn that he is trustworthy and faithful, it will be good. So we are trusting that the Holy Spirit will do his work in extrapolating these things into your hearts as Stefan is speaking about accruing benefit to ourselves, and that being a primary thing that often we do our work for, that can be unpacked in so many ways. So we're just trusting. Holy Spirit, even just as we sit and listen to your word this morning, and it's a bit clunky because we're going different people, and, and it's just unusual, and it's, Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit come and convict us of our motives, why we want what we want and help us to see those things and then we pray ultimately we, we would see that those things are a lack of trust in you that we don't trust our father to provide what we need we feel like we've got to fight for it and grapple for it and talk to hr about it lord and we just ask would you come and examine our hearts this morning come and examine our hearts lord we want to trust you but it's so hard and all of that, when you, when you roll it all out, what it all equates to really is because, because you are in essence being called to work for God, right? If, if you've got that clear in your mind, then doing whatever work you're called to, whatever it is, is in effect fulfilling God's call over your life. We spend a huge amount of time in the workplace. So this needs to be extremely clear for us, that if we are doing what God is prepared for us, God has prepared the work that we are supposed to do, when we are doing it, it's not just my job. It's not just a salary. It's not just something to do in between my holidays until I reach retirement. It's a vocation. That means a calling. It's God's calling over my life. It's what God has designed and destined me to do. Now that speaks a huge amount to perspective and to motivation. Think, a way to say it is like this. Do you guys, would you work in K, um, KPIs, Key Performance Index? So most of you, if you're in a job, you'd have like KPIs and your boss would say, these are the things that we measure you on, right? This is another way to say it. Your KPIs are to God, not to man. That's effectively what Ephesians 6 is saying. Your KPIs are to God. God is saying, I have called you to do this, so I will measure how you're doing, and I will reward you accordingly for the good that you have done, irrespective of whether it's never noticed, whether you have an awful boss, whether your company goes bankrupt, whether you're the boss and you're awful, God is still saying on all of those things, I hold the actual measure, I'm measuring, and I'm rewarding. Because that is true, some incredible quick truths that I want to share that come 
to light. The first one is this. God is calling us to our different vocations. If that's true, then our different vocations are God's idea of the different parts of the body, right? You think of 1 Corinthians 12. All the different parts of the body and how they're supposed to function. And we love to think about that on a Sunday morning. Someone sets up the chairs, someone preaches, someone does. I don't think that's what it's talking about. I think it's talking about a lot more than a Sunday morning. I think it's speaking about how we are all created by God to fulfill different roles in His kingdom. One of those very key areas is work. And so God is going, I have called different people to fulfill different roles. And if that's the case, we absolutely no longer have any basis for condescension of anybody's work or superiority. Does that make sense? In God's eyes, the person digging the ditch, whatever dot, 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 menial work is in your mind, is able and called to fulfill that role just as much as the CEO of the biggest company in the whole world may be called to do that role. Does that make sense? Doesn't it just, it should flood our hearts with a little bit of like, wow, I don't think I see the world like that. Flood our hearts with a little bit of grace. We should not, on both sides, we should not turn our nose up, if that's the right phrase, at menial work, neither should we throw accusing eyes at CEO level work? Both of them, if those people are doing those things as unto God, both of them are fulfilling God's vocation. Let's leave that there. But if you, if you put all those texts together in Ephesians 6, in the first part, and you think about this thing of value, you think about contribution, you think about how we come with appropriate humility to look at two people, one working in the garden, one working as the CEO of Amazon, and you're going, wow, it could be that they are both fulfilling the call of God on their lives. It's quite a cool thought. And this is how Ephesians says we are to do it. They are doing it just as you would obey Christ, as slaves to Christ, doing the will of God from your heart, as if you were serving the Lord, because you know that the world, that the Lord, not the world, that the Lord will reward you. That's a massive departure point from our cultural thinking. Massive. It's a significant discipleship issue that we must engage with and say, Lord, change my heart to see people like this. Change my heart. A little click down on this, I've got no time to go into this at all, but if you just think about the prevalence of the sacred-secular divide, you think about how you, many of you would feel like my work or, you know, fill in the dot, Mother Teresa, a missionary going off somewhere in the world, that their work is somehow more, they, they really are working for God. But, but me, I just do admin. On a Monday morning, I go in and I, I just type in the, Tapping all the admin stuff from the weekend. I'm not doing, you know, I'm not really working for God. Scripture comes in and completely shoots that out of the water and says you absolutely are. This guy, the missionary, has the same boss. This person, the admin worker on a Monday morning, has the same boss. Whatever it is that you're doing, sacred, secular, businessman, businesswoman, whatever you are doing, ditch digger, in the glory of Jesus, to the glory of Jesus, if you're doing it to that, God is going, 
I'm watching, I'm keeping track, I see you as equal value, we ought to see each other as equal value, fulfilling the call of God over our lives, and there is no difference. Some of you might um, know this about my life already, but what I thought, where I thought I'd be and what I thought I'd be doing is extremely different from um, the journey that God has taken me on. And um, as we were preparing, Stefan shared some of his own little story, and he'll tell a little bit about why he tells so many jokes. Um, and just a little bit of context to how God uses us differently to what we had in mind. Yes. Can I hold it for you? Or you? Okay. Sorry, I'm just trying to see where... Paul messed it up, I'm sure. Is it? Yeah, so, so I'm, I'm a bit on the opposite side. When I was about 16, I had this idea that I will become a duomni. Um, and uh, it took me a long time to realize that is not my calling. So from 16 about, I was thinking, no, I'm going to be duomni, studying somewhere in Pretoria, the Dutch Reform whatever they call it these days, seminary or sem... How do you say that? Quick school. Thank you. Um, but in October of my matric year, for various reasons that changed quickly, in a, about a period of a week, God closed doors and He opened other doors and I was registered to study as a chemical engineer in Northwest University. And even during my studies, um, I was always thinking that I would still be some sort of missionary somewhere in Africa. And I went on mission trips and so on. And even at one point I was thinking, I'm going to be a clown roaming the streets of Nairobi. Um, so some of you may know me, so that's not completely surprising, but um, yeah, so I just had this feeling to, to, to cheer up the street children in that city by giving them something else than sniffing glue at night to keep them warm. Um, but that's not my reality. I, I'm an engineer, as you figured out, not electronic engineer, uh, though I dabbled in it a bit. And I've traveled the world from mine to mine. When the tourists went this way, I went the opposite direction. And I've met people all across the world, amazing people. And I'm not always sure what God is using me for, but my heart has settled in that. And I can, I can see some fruit sometimes. I have the same struggles and stuff that most of us that I lose my patient, patience, but God is using me. But it took a time for me after studying to realize God is actually using in my vocation. And I think all of us need to give God the space and time to, to show that to us as well. The last few years, my, it was even getting worse in a sense. A few months ago, for example, I had to fill in a, a form 
And uh, on the occupation, somebody wrote businessman. And I was like, God, what have I become? You know, it's like a businessman. That's not, that's not what I ever thought. But even in that, you know, God has used me, I, I hope. So, let me just, sorry, time is ticking. <clears throat> yeah, so just to bring it to close, whatever God is leading you to, maybe you wanted to become a missionary, maybe your story is the same. Maybe sitting in a job that you don't know why I'm here. Just be at peace. God will reveal it in his good time. And he's using you even though you don't know. Thanks. Thank you. A clown in Nairobi. Very fun to see that. Guys, how are we doing? Are we okay? I know I know it's been a bit of a long morning already. Can I speak to bosses? Have we got time still to to do that? I've got some thumbs up. Great, okay. I'll take them. So we basically just very simply we've gone, what is this text saying to those of you who are employees and why is the text saying that? And hopefully that's helpful. We wanted to actually focus there because the vast majority of us in the room would fill that bracket more often than not. But let's look quickly at the what. The second part, verse 9, is the only verse we'll actually look at here. But the what to masters or bosses or employers, it says, Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. In the same way, reminds me of a... Um, as by way of explanation of a, a text message I once sent to Kate, it was some many years ago, and I am fairly, I like to think of myself somewhat poetically and, and romantic, and I sent a, a very detailed, loving, this is what I think of you message, um, and it was long, and um, the reply I received back was ditto. <laughs> um, that has still hurt me to this day. But when I, was, when I was thinking about this Ephesians 6, 9, that's what I thought of. I thought of that story of ditto. And he's saying, in the same way. Basically, it's ditto of the above. It's saying, as God has called us as workers to work as unto God, effectively, as masters or bosses or employers, we do the same thing. All of those things, all of the motives which apply because God is watching, because God, you're serving God, not man. You're not just treating employees as you like. No, God is watching. All of those things apply. So that's, that's all of that. All I'm going to say on that, just ditto, you are doing this for Jesus. And then it says, do not threaten them. It makes, it makes sense when you look at the slave master dynamic, but it, makes, it only makes sense when, you, when this, a person actually has power. Do not threaten someone is abuse. It's where you have power. So someone comes and stands at your car window with a banana and they say, give me your car. You just laugh and drive off. Someone comes and stands at your car window with a gun. It's a very different story because there's actual power to hurt or to damage, right? And so this is saying, bosses, you have been given power. Masters, you have been given power. And we've seen those effects on people's lives. When, when bosses misuse or abuse that power and the devastating effects it can have in families who suddenly don't have enough 
money at the end of the month, or whatever it may be, or unfair dismissals, right? And this text is simply saying, don't do that. Don't threaten them. You have power. Don't abuse it. And then I love the last little part, no favoritism. Don't show favoritism, because it links back into verse 6. It's to employ, employers, employees, it says, obey them not to win their favor. Not only when they're watching you. In other words, workers don't try to be the favorite through insincere, dishonest, sucking up kind of ways. Like, who likes working with someone like that? Right? Don't do that. And then it goes to bosses, and don't let them do that. Don't respond to those things. Don't choose and pick favorites. I've seen this in the workplace many times, back, not in the church workplace, back before, where people, where bosses play people off one another to make them try and be their favorite so that they can maximize productivity or whatever it is they're trying to achieve in their workplace. The why, why should we do this? Why should bosses do this? The first is ditto, in the same way. Go and look at the points above, and it's exactly the same stuff. Just as you would obey Christ, you're doing this to Christ. You're a slave to Christ. You are not a slave to yourself, to your corporate, to anything else. Number two, this is really important. Dial back in if you've dialed out for a moment. Because you know who actually holds the power over both of you. This is what it says. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours, and then it just helps you and says, is in heaven, i.e. is bigger than the both of you. He's in heaven. He's not playing here. So the picture I have for this, which really helped me, is two little kids um, playing in the sandpit. Let's call them Johnny and Sally for whatever reason. Let's call them that. We need some more politically correct names, but for today that'll do. He's saying... Johnny and the parents are standing over there, and Johnny and Sally are busy playing in the sandpit, and one of them, they decide they're going to play a game where one of them is the parent and one of them is the child, okay? And the parents are standing back, and they're kind of watching, ha oh, ha, isn't it so sweet, it's so nice, it's so lovely, until Johnny decides that what a parent ought to do to Sally is to give her a good spanking, right? At that moment, the parent steps in and says, hey, 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 the power in your game the power you're playing with, that's kind of like play-play power. I know you're actually the dad in your little game, but in real life, that's not what you are. In real life, you're just Johnny and you're just Sally and you're both just playing in the sandpit, right? I'm the parent here. Have you ever seen those moments or experienced those moments? If you're a parent, you know those moments pretty well. Power dynamics. I've got a, I've got a boy who's, who's getting to that manly age and it's like, it's like powering up sometimes happens in the home. You know, you watch these boys as they hit that age, powering up in the home, like I'm the man in the home. Effectively, I think this text is saying, you need to remember that you're in the sandpit. And yes, you do wield some God-given power. You do have authority as a boss. It's a godly thing. Obey your boss. It's what it says. But God's going, hey man, but I'm the parent. I have, I have real power here. I'm really the master here. Does that help? And then it says, it helps someone. Thank you, Jesus. I've been praying for that moment all week. Um, because God sees, and his reason, the why, is because God sees without favoritism. Guys, this is the gospel. This is salvation right here. Why didn't this? this things just got serious. Like, this is the gospel. Why did God save you? Was it because you were great? Was it because you sucked up? 
Was it because you were special? Were you particularly good at anything? Were you God's favorite? Is that why God saved you? No. We're saved purely on the basis of God's goodness. Nothing to do with me, nothing to do with you. Even in the act of salvation, God demonstrates this point, don't show favoritism. It never, ever, a friend of mine, jumping thoughts here quickly, but a friend of mine recently told me about his mother who wants to give their daughter, who's kind of her favorite in their family set up, a car. And he said, you're not allowed to. And the mother was so offended. Why can't I give her a car? She's my only granddaughter. I've got lots of grandsons. This is my only granddaughter. I want to give her my car. I've bought a new one. I want to give her the car. And he just said, Mom, you cannot give her a car because favoritism has never once in God's word ended in anything but family strife and trouble. Stop it. He told me that story and I thought, wow, better stop telling so-and-so in my family that they're my favorite. Kate, of course. <laughs> All right. Stefan, why don't you come and just share with us in closing some practicals on bosses and views of employees. Get it? Oh, there you go. I don't know. <clears throat> yeah, so over the last 15 years of so of my career, I've been managing people in some form or other. Um, and during that time, I was once told by a senior of mine that as a Christian, it can be really hard to manage people because we, we, we treat or try to treat people differently. And he, in some way, in the goodness of his heart, seeing mercy over me, probably, said, you must see employees as resources only. You have to come to that place to accept that employees as resources. And he used this example of a teacup. And he said, you know, it's not to say that you treat employees badly because a teacup is, can break easily, but it's got a purpose. You drink tea out of it and so on. But it's not, a, it's not a person that you have to take care of. Well, I'm not, apart from Chip and Mrs. Potts and Beauty and the Beast, but I mean normal teacups I'm speaking of. Um, but basically, sorry guys. So, okay, focus, Stefan. Um, basically, what, what he's saying is that people are resources and they need it from a business perspective. And our care and attention needed is from that perspective only. And, and I can see that this view can make managing people easier, but I, but, but I don't believe this is biblical. From own experience, I know that managing people can be difficult and most of the time it can be almost impossible. As a, as a manager, or a, we need to always balance the need of the employee versus the need of the stakeholders, such as other stakeholders, such as clients or, or shareholders, and that can be, can be difficult, very difficult. And I think as just from an employee perspective, we sometimes forget it, that your boss has certain objectives and stuff, 
and it can be difficult and you and we need to have grace for our bosses from that perspective but I think that's exactly what God calls us um, it is difficult and that's just that's just where we are but God doesn't leave us there um, he sent his son as such a great example of how to go about I'm looking at Pierre and one of my one of my um, colleagues has visited Pierre and Pierre I just want to commend you every time she comes back and she said no Pierre has prayed for her so Pierre just I always think of you in, in doing that sorry I just sort of when I saw him now but as as Christians, employers or bosses, we can look at Jesus for comfort and strength. <laughs> Jesus, in some sense, also had to achieve some outcomes. You know, he was sent by, by his father to establish his kingdom on earth. And he came, he came here. In that process, he was misunderstood. He was denied. He was betrayed. So us as Christian bosses, do we really need to, to, to start crying? I do sometimes cry and feel pity on myself. And it's normal, but, but we can get up and we can look to Jesus and, and look for him to be with us in that, even though it's difficult. We don't have to shy away from difficult as, as Christians. We should embrace it. Because if God is with us in this process, and He's personally involved with us in this process, we're going to still fail as we would fail before, but He will be there to pick us up. So employees is not just teacups. They're more actually, in a way, I just figured it out now, like the story of Beauty and the Beast. They're just sort of real people hiding away as a resource. A friend of mine um, who stayed a long time in Mozambique as a missionary, um, he always used to say this, when things go tough, hard, he said, Aluta, Continue. It's let, let the struggle continue. For God is with us. He's with us. He loves us. And His purposes will be fulfilled, either through us or not. Thank you. Amen. All right, let's land this thing. Where does all this leave us? Employees, employers, students, job seekers, retired. What if you have that terrible boss? God's word said, you can never have a terrible boss. I'm your boss, right? That's what God's Word says. You can't have a bad boss. I'm your boss, ultimately. What if you are the terrible boss? What does God's Word say to you? God's Word says you are Johnny in the sandpit. The gospel must inform our lives. It must come and change us. It must make us different to just the corporate way, the corporate culture, the, the workplace norms, whatever it is that you're using as an excuse for why you are being that kind of boss, the gospel comes and says, 
we need to change because God sees us. Stefan is saying so beautifully at the end, God sees people different. doesn't see them the way that we see them. What if you don't have work? What if you know that God is calling you to change jobs, but you're so scared? You're so scared. You know that God is saying it's time, but you're so afraid to take that step. I want to point you back to what Stefan was saying earlier in the preach. Trust in God. God is our source. God is our strength. It's not, it's not our paycheck. It's not any of these things. And on and on we could go. And I want to remind you that the Lord is keeping track. God himself. Through every work-related trial we go through, every struggle, God is the one who is diligently recording, keeping track, and saying, I will reward you for whatever you do. Guys, can you just imagine what this would would look like. This is our vision in one hope, being filled and filling Stellenbosch with the hope and life of Jesus. Imagine if Monday morning every one of us went into our workplace with a changed work view, working as unto God. Imagine what this could look like for our work relationships if we took God seriously and we wanted to be these kind of workers, we wanted to be these kind of bosses. It would be revolutionary in our workplace. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it comes to challenge and address and touch our hearts. And we pray that as we go this morning, you would so speak to us in the ways that we need to hear this. Lord, there's so many millions of nuances to what we're saying. And it just feels like we've just scratched not even the varnish off the top of the subject. But we do pray, Lord, that by your spirit, there'd be enough in this that you would just deeply work in people's hearts and lives this week and as we think about it in time to come. In Jesus' wonderful name, we are well over time and I want to say have a lovely Sunday and I hope your chicken is not burnt in the oven. Amen. Thanks for being with us, guys. Have a lovely day.